create the front Sydney. Here we are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our show, which is Create with France. And today we have a very special episode. And we're going to be talking about fibromyalgia, which is a, a very interesting condition. And uh, very soon, on the 12th of May, is going to be Fibromyalgia Awareness Day. So I think it's a, it's a right moment to talk about it and see what it is. What can people do? The NHS gives you a lot of information. They talk about hypnosis, they talk about CBT, they talk about relaxation, acceptance, therapy. But I have here an expert in pain and it's called Stephen Blake. And he comes from Lincoln in England. Wonderful place. Go and visit the cathedral. Really nice place. And so, Stephen, I just want to introduce you again, but you've been to my podcast already. But Stephen has worked out what to do with pain. And he has a company called Old Pain To Go, which is quite a clear name here. So how can we get this pain to go? And what happens? What happens when you have fibromyalgia? I let you talk about it because I know what it is. And, you know, it's pains everywhere. But what happens when you see a client? What stories are you hearing? And there we go. All yours. Thank you very much. Yes, the um, I trained as a therapist and the first person I ever got, who only came for what I was selling already, um, had ME. And um, I, I was selling a diet product. And uh, she came for the diet product, but told me that... Um, I asked her level of uh, activity, so I got the right diet. And she said, hardly anything, because I've got ME. And I said, oh. And she said, I, I get paid for two hours a week, but it takes me 40 hours to do do the work, because I have to stop and have a sleep. And I, she said, it's just terrible. And I felt so sorry for her. And I said, I'm just training as a therapist. And... Um, Perhaps I could help you. Uh, when you come back in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll study things to see if I can help you. And she said, how much? And I said, no, I don't even know if I could help you. And so I, I studied everything I could get my hands on with uh, ME, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, which uh, not everybody does this, but I see it as the same illness, just with a different outcome because it's the same cause. So uh, I studied everything I could find on the, this topic uh, for two weeks. Now, initially, I was like, oh, I think I can help her. And I was enthusiastic and I was new. So I, I was a bit over sort of like, oh, over ambitious. And after nearly a fortnight, I was like, this is really complicated. It's really difficult. Uh, there's so many ver- variations of it. And um, I thought, perhaps I can't help her. But then I got sent a video by somebody who helps people, but they they go for weeks on end of uh, training to sort of calm them down and ease them into things and so on, and, and it helps a bit. But I got three videos of people who recovered from it. And when I listened to their stories, because of my training and, and the background I've, I've got of me overdoing things all my life, I started to recognize the pattern in the story of each person that recovered. And I realized that although they had different things triggering them off, I recognized what was the same in each one of them working. So I came to this theory, and it's it's just a really simple one, that all people who have those range of illnesses, and, and just for clarity, instead of keep going back to ME, chronic fatigue and fibro, I'm going to call it the boss range of illnesses, which is what I call it. 
and it stands for Burnout Overload Safety System. But I also call it boss because it gets the boss of you. It actually takes over your life. So once I recognised this, uh, the woman came back the following week and I did a very uh, short chat with her. And uh, I was doing hypnotism at the time and did it with hypnosis. Now, I don't use hypnosis anymore, but but this worked for her. I did about 20 minutes hypnosis and she started to recover straight away. And three months later, she was actually abroad on a end party week and uh, called me from that to say how her life had changed. So I started to recognise that I had not the answer, but an answer to how people could get better. And it's not about curing or healing or whatever. It's about that person recognising what causes the problem and stop doing it. It, it really is as simple as that. But there's an added step, uh, and I think I'm the only person that does this step, which is that you have to get an agreement with your unconscious mind for it to do something if you promise to do something else. And I'll, I'll tell you what that is later, or else it's it sort of get in the way of the story. So here's what happens. Now, hopefully, if, if there's a lot of people watching with Vibro or whatever, um, you'll start to recognise yourself when I describe you. So this is a an illness that people get because they're busy, busy, busy in their mind or head or both. And I've never found anybody outside of that criteria. Everybody who gets these illnesses are have that need to be constantly thinking about things, doing things. And it's all about this action. Now, where they got that from, we, we don't know, but it might just be the, the way they were raised or whatever. Or they might have been sat around one day and, and you know, the father said, what are you doing looking lazy? You could at least look busy, you know. So they have, it's an impulsive thing to actually keep busy. And, and they don't feel right if they're not busy. Now, the problem is that if you're busy, busy, busy all the time, head, mind, you know, uh, mind, body, or whatever, then uh, sooner or later, we all get this. If I was to do gardening tomorrow that I'm not used to doing, I, at the end of the day, I will feel tired and I would feel achy. And I'd ache even more the next day and probably been even more tired the next day. Mm. So a person who's not driven in the way that they are would actually say, well, I'm not doing that tomorrow. But if you're driven, it's almost like you, there's a compulsion. You've got to go out and do it again. And you fight, fight off the fatigue and you fight off the pain. So you get very good at ignoring pain and fatigue. But pain and fatigue are survival uh, things for you to have. They actually tell you when you've done too much for the day and to stop it. Now, if, if like me, I wouldn't do it the next day, but somebody who's got one of these illnesses and is driven would do it the next day. And it might even take them to do the same amount of work. It might take them an extra hour because they're already tired and fatigued and, and aching. Um, but they would do it and they put the extra hour in and, and no normal mortals would do that. So, but they do this day after day after day after day that they push through pain and fatigue. So they're not listening to the body at all. 
Now, I think we all know that when we were children, if we did something wrong, our, one of our parents, my mother, would say, Stephen, don't do that. And if I did it again, it wasn't the same voice and the same volume. It was, Stephen, don't do that. And if I really did it again, it was like, Stephen, don't do that. And I got a clip at back of the head. You've got to listen. Because I'm 70 and that's what parents did then. So, and your brain is just the same. It tries to tell you not to overdo things with pain and fatigue. And so when you do over things, it, it gives you pain and fatigue. And then if you keep doing it, it keeps turning the volume up as sort of like, why aren't you listening to me? And, and this is why this is a progressive illness, that it gets worse and worse and worse. Now, the reason I talk about pain and fatigue is that fibro is a diagnosis, meaning that you've mainly got pain. And we can't describe why you've got it, but it's all over the place and it might even move around, um, which shows that it isn't about damage in your body because if it was damaged, it would stay in the same place. And then you've also got the fatigue that's there all the time. Now, if you've got fatigue, you, get, you don't usually get diagnosed with fibro. So the only thing that splits up uh, fibro, ME and chronic fatigue syndrome is the actual doctor saying, well, it's mainly this. Yeah. But the cause is the same. The, the constantly overdoing of things. Now, if you constantly overdo things, you are under stress, even if you don't feel stressed. So you your body's constantly under stress. Now, when we're stressed, we go into fight or flight mode. And fight or flight mode makes the chemicals that go around the body and they virtually tear you in half. Because the idea of fight and flight was that for 20 seconds, you could run away from a saber-toothed tiger and climb a tree instantly, really quickly. Or you could lift something out of the way with superhuman strength to get there. And to give you the strength to run and fight, it shuts down certain parts of your body to enable it to do that. So if you're going to be a meal for a saber-toothed tiger any minute now, you don't need to digest your food that you've just eaten. So the energy going to your stomach to digest your food is taken to your legs and arms to help you fight. And this is why when you've got fibromyalgia or one of the boss range of illnesses, you also quite often get stomach problems, IBS and things like that, because your body's not now processing the food well because you're in that mode where you're in fight or flight and you're constantly in it day after day after day. Now, if you're constantly in stress, it's likely that sooner or later, and it could take many years, you will die of a heart attack or a stroke. You're far more likely to. And your body knows that. So it does its best to stop you overdoing things and stop you being stressed. Now, if it physically makes it difficult for you to do something, then um, it's you're going to be thinking about, I should be doing that. And because you don't like staying still, you if you're forced to stay still, you're going to be sat there or laid there thinking, I've got all those things to do. And there's research that shows that thinking about things is not much different energetically to actually doing them. 
So if you're fretting about what you're not doing, you're not getting rest, even though you're only just laid there. I know. You just hit the nail over the head with that. Absolutely. So many, they spend the night trying to sleep. It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep because I have in my mind the list of things that I have to do. I'll, I'll, and worry. Remind me at the end, I'll tell you about how you can get to sleep easier. A, a, a technique for it. So this is what's happening. Your body is wanting to shut you down so that you can't overdo things. Now, so it gives you pain and fatigue, but that doesn't slow you or stop you. And after a while, it realizes this. So what it does is it has to find something else. And it's turning the volume up all the time. It's shouting at you every day now. And that's still not stopping you. Now, what happens is at some point, something will put you in bed for a while. It could just be a cold or flu or something, but it could be um, any number of things, including the loss of a loved one. It could be a reaction to a vaccination. It could be something like glandular fever, which quite often crops up. Now, that's enough to put somebody in bed for a week or two. Now, if they're in bed for a week or two, they're not doing all these things. They're not overdoing things with their body. They might be doing it mentally, but they're not overdoing it with the body. Now, the unconscious, uh, the bit that looks after you with your survival system, it goes, aha, I found a way to keep you in bed. <laughs> now, it, it doesn't want to give you a new illness, so it takes something you've already got that's a weakness now, and it uses that weakness to keep you trapped in bed. Now, it's it sort of, when it's got that far, it doesn't know how to stop this process. You've got in a vicious circle. You overdo things, so it makes you lay in bed. Then you're thinking about it. Then you're just as bad. And the thing is, there's times when the illness gives you a day off from being really bad. Now, I, I've suffered from these sort of things, so I understand it. When you have a day that you think is a good day, it would be most normal people's day from hell. It would be like having the hangover from hell, but you can move. And that day, instead of resting, because you're always forced to rest anyway, you sprinkling the house from top to bottom. So it's sort of giving you a day off being ill, and then you overdo it exactly the wrong thing for what it wanted you to do it wanted you to go you've given me a day off i'll have a nice walk around the park and look at the birds and just calm and relax yeah and you don't you overdo because that's the only time you've got to do it because normally you're too ill to do that and so you're fretting about it so you get it done the moment you feel just well enough and what's happening is this is a bit like you end up it, it, let me sort of backpedal a bit there. When I first found out how to help people, I was so enthusiastic about it. Uh, I, and it was like, it was like this wonderful gift I had. And so I was saying to people, I turn your pain off. And I, all I need you to do is slow down, which is exactly the wrong thing to say to somebody who's driven. So... I was actually telling them they're have to, they're gonna have to go against the natural way they are. And then I realized that that wasn't helpful. So I say the opposite now. I say, I'm gonna speed you up from where you are now. But you have to realize you, you can't do superhuman day after day after day. 
you can do it now and again. You know, ordinary humans, I've known people that have gone up to Everest Base Camp, you know, um, but they don't do it every day. So you can do the occasional day where you really overdo it, and that's fine, but you can't do it day after day after day because that pushes you towards having the heart attack or stroke, and the body's really worried about it. Now, if you're really ill from this, a lot of pain or a lot of fatigue, I have no doubt that your body thinks it's saving you from death. Because the body will give you pain or fatigue to stop you doing things at a low level to, because it doesn't matter too much. But as soon as it matters a lot, it has to increase this pain and fatigue to a level that really hurts you. So you have to force through it to, to damage yourself. It always gives you the lowest level message necessary to get you to stop doing things. Now, normally pain is this thing to um, move away from things, do, do something. Um, but quite often now, it's I don't want you to do anything. So it gets locked in this sort of conundrum that if I release you from it, you're now going to overdo things and then that will kill you. And that's exactly what I was trying to stop happening. So there's lots of people who think they've got treatments out there and ideas for treatments and all that. But there's one bit that's missing. And that is the bargain that you make with your unconscious to release you from this. And it's a very simple statement. and I don't mind sharing it with everybody. It's as simple as this. I say to people, look, okay, imagine you're, you know, you're in an eight out of 10 pain at the moment. That's what stops you from doing anything. Now, if I was to say to your unconscious, okay, in the future, you tell them when they've had enough for the day. Well, how are they going to notice that if they're already in an eight out of 10 pain? They won't. So if we could get that pain down to a zero from this old message of, I know what you're like, I'm going to have to give you this amount of pain. If we could get it to just stop that old message for a while and treat the body afresh that day. If they start the day with no pain at all, it could tell them when they're a level one and it goes, hey, you've done enough for the day and it's quite quiet at this point. <laughs> and you would hear it because it's not got to get to a nine to tell you. Now, if you're already on an eight and it wants to tell you, it will try to tell you at one, you won't hear it. And gradually you'll have overdone things for the day by a level eight. So you've already overdone things before you even stop. Yeah. <laughs> so I get, I get this bargain going that I say to somebody, are you willing to listen to your body from now on? And they say, yes. And I show them a different way of listening which we probably haven't got time for today. So I show them a different way of listening where they'll definitely get the message. But I get it to turn off the pain and fatigue that's constantly running in the body and start afresh again. So it's like resetting it. It's a bit like a fire alarm. You know, when the, alarm, when the alarm's gone off and the fire's been put out, you don't leave it running. That would be crazy. Yeah. You, and you don't leave it running at a lower level, but let's leave it on just so everybody knows it's still working. You reset it to zero again. And at zero, it now means if there's a new fire, you can hear it when the alarm starts to come on. And you can discuss it and everything else because you can talk about it. 
But if levels are up here already, you can't see danger. So I get this agreement from them with their body, and then I get an agreement from the body to switch off the pain and the or the old pain messages and the old fatigue messages. And, and they can go in an instant because it's just your body giving you pain and fatigue by constantly sending messages out. So if you can convince that part of your brain that you don't need these messages, it can be instant because it just stops sending the message out. You know, this, this isn't rocket science. This is all good, solid logic. And very fortunately now, pain science covers everything that I say. So this is the science behind this. So pain is made in the brain for that person, for a specific person, purpose, sorry. And so we're not saying that it's made up, that you're thinking of these things and therefore you get it, or you want to have pain to get you out of doing things. This is a genuine physical illness, no different to anything else. And, and it's okay saying it's an invisible illness, but so is heart attacks. So is cancer unless your hair falls out. Almost everything is an invisible illness unless your leg drops off. Yeah? So it's not that people don't believe you that you're ill. And this is the issue. If I approach people about this, I get into a lot of trouble. Because they want to say, okay, you're going to talk to me and I get better. I am really ill. Now, I do understand that you are really ill, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Now, a lot of people, and, and I take this from my own background, because at one stage I collapsed and I was in bed for several months, barely could get out of bed. And even if I went to the bathroom, which was right next to the bed, um, I would be crashed out for three hours, just absolutely drained of absolutely every bit of energy. And so... What I was doing at the time was I had a job that was about 60 hours a week and I designed and built my own house in my spare time. So I ended up collapsing. So I understand this. Now, when you get to the point where you know you should be busy and like I could look out the temporary caravan I'd got on the building plot and see the building half finished, um, I knew I needed to be doing that, and I was fretting about it. But the more I fretted about it, the more I thought, well, I feel lazy. This is not me, I'm not lazy, I'm, I'm really ill. But I couldn't really describe, and I didn't look ill. And it's almost like you want to prove that you're ill, because nobody can see it. Nobody can see your pain, nobody can see your fatigue, they can see if you grimace or whatever, but... You can't see fatigue on somebody. And so it's almost like you start to doubt yourself that you are that driven person. You start to think yourself that you're lazy. And you're bound to then think, well, if I think I'm lazy and I, I know I'm not, everybody else must think I'm lazy. And this is the terrible thing. Then you start thinking that. And it's simply not true. It's not true that anybody thinks you're lazy. They're ill and they don't know how to talk to you and they don't know what to say and they will say the wrong things and they will offer advice as people do. <laughs> like, oh, if you just got out of your bed, you'd be all right. And it's not like that. And I don't agree with the spoons theory. This idea you've had so many spoons for the day 
and you use them up with everything you do until you run out of spoons. Life isn't like that. It is while you're ill. So it's not about gradually getting better. It's making a decision that you're going to get in touch with your unconscious. You're going to agree to actually not be at the pace that was killing you, but you're going to agree to be at a pace that you can work at that is sensible for somebody of your age and your circumstances. Yeah? I mean, I'm still overdoing things. I'm 70. I've just renovated a bungalow, for goodness sake. So I know that I can't take somebody's drive away. But we can actually get them to the point where they understand the level of activity they can do, that they can consistently do and get away with it because it's okay. And then if they push over that level, well, they can do it now and again, but they can't keep doing it. And once you understand that, you can start to recover. I've literally had I have a, a website called oldpaintergo.com. If you go on there and you have a look, there's a page about fibromyalgia. And I'm not joking, I wrote that to say to people what I've said to you today. And on there, some people have written to me years later and have said, oh, Stephen, I thought I'd just tell you, I read your page like three years ago and I've been better ever since, but I thought I'd better come and tell you. Um, and that warms my heart every day. So. Yes, you have got an illness. It is real. You are not putting this on. Your brain is making pain or fatigue to stop you from killing yourself. Literally, it's stopping you killing yourself. Once you talk to it nicely and you get to be friends again with your unconscious mind, so your conscious and unconscious become in line with each other, and then you can see that this has been your best friend, even though it's given you pain. It's been your best friend because if it hadn't given you the pain, you'd be dead by now. It's you know what? That. That, that, sorry to drop but you just said it. Stop you. Because I remember one person with Fabro was telling me, oh, and I got this pain and that pain, but it's not going to stop me. And I'm still going to do this. And I'm like, that's the whole point. That was the whole point of it. <laughs> it's not going to stop me. So then... It's like saying if you have a cavity, when it's small, you have a little bit of twinge of pain. We're like, no, it's okay, I'm not going to brush my teeth, I'm going to eat sugar. Then the cavity becomes bigger and the body sends you bigger pain. Yes. And you're like, oh, that's okay, it doesn't matter. Eventually, there'll be nothing left because everything is being eaten up. That's quite a, quite a bad example here, but if you no, keep ignoring it, it's a brilliant example. body will send you this really bad thing and you're going to be awake for a whole night screaming, then it just won't be too far. Pain and fatigue are survival systems. Mm. If, if your body's having to punish you that badly, it really is a survival system cutting in saying, stop it, listen to me, listen to me. But then it gets locked into the, I'm shouting at you, I'm shouting at you, you can barely get your head off the pillar. I don't know what to do now because if I let you free, you'll kill yourself. So it doesn't, it, it's real panicky situation. And, and it really has to be that you sit down and you calm yourself down internally and you say to your unconscious, I'm really sorry. You know, you ha this isn't a punishment you gave me. This was a protective measure. And I don't bloody like it. But if I start doing what I should be doing now, instead of overdoing everything, 
I, I'm going to promise to listen to my body now. You let me know in a way that I can stop. In, in fact, I'll tell you how I do that now with people. I used to introduce a thing called the pacing system. And pacing is just that we never go from feeling comfortable to sharp pain in a millimetre, you know, or in, in a split second, unless we're touching something hot or sharp. So when we gradually get there, it's sort of so slow that we don't notice it and then we can fight it off. And so with a pacing system, you'd get this sensation that would get more and more intense where you'd finally say, well, that's enough. But you've already got that system and you've already ignored it. So here's a better system. I'm going to ask your unconscious to swap. Now, we'll do a little experiment. We might get some people out of pain today. If you're listening to this and you've agreed with it so far, I want you to give a very definite statement now that you'll listen to your body in the future. Will you listen to your body in future? And I want to hear really loud yeses. Yeah? And if you give that positive yes, I'm now going to say to your unconscious, okay, they now understand what you were trying to tell them. They understand you were protecting them with it. So now let's get it on board and say, I'm going to listen to you, but you've got to tell me in some way that isn't pain or fatigue. So this is what I want you to install now. So I want you to all imagine your favourite food. Yeah? Now, you think of your favourite food, whatever it is. Now, I'm going to treat you now. I'm going to put the biggest bowl, nearly a bathtub, in front of you of your favourite food. Like now, for me, it will be chocolate. Yeah, chocolate, whatever. Now, you're going to dig your spoon in, or you're going to bite it, and you're going to eat as much as you want. There's no, no end to it, yeah? So you start off, and at first, you would really enjoy it. The first bite or two, you'd be, oh, this is lovely. This is great. And then after about five or six spoonfuls or chunks of it, you'd start to feel a little bit sicky. And you get a bit of acid reflux and various things. So the body would be saying, yeah, I'm not sure if I like this anymore. <laughs> so you get to that point of boredom. You see, it isn't that you're full, because if you swap that for your favourite pudding or something, you could suddenly eat something differently and do the same again. Eat it until you're fed up. So that's the feeling I want your unconscious to give you. And it can be absolutely sudden. It can be, I can't do this anymore. If you get that sensation, can you see how that's going to change you stopping for the day? Now, it doesn't mean you have to stop everything for the day. It's not like, oh, I'm exhausted or I'm worn out. I have to go to bed. It's a, I've had enough of this. Now you can go inside, you might want to do a bit of paperwork or something. You might want to watch the TV, you might want to do anything. You can do that for a while, but if you've had enough of that, then you'll get this boredom thing sets in again, where you go, okay, what else is there I want to do or can do, or should I just rest now? Yeah. And that is so much better. Now, I'm going to ask you to install that in you, and also take away your old pain and fatigue, if that's possible. Now, you probably haven't done enough convincing now for that to work. And I do a whole process after this point with people to, to get them so their unconscious takes it on board and, and agrees. Yeah. But, but that's the process, really. 
understanding that it's it, it is an illness now, but it wasn't an illness when it started. It was a, it was cause and effect. You were overdoing something, and this was a consequence of you doing too much. And then it turned into an illness because you just kept pushing the envelope far too far, and the body said, "I've got to stop you, or you're dead." You know, guys, um, maybe you want to get some water because <laughs> that was good. I mean, have you actually listened to this guy? He knows what he's talking about. And I have talked to many people who, mostly women, suffer from fibromyalgia. They all said, I can't stop, I have to do, I have to help, I can't really let down this person, I can't do this, I can't do that. And they have spent so much money in lots of therapies to do this and that, hot baths and all sorts. But still the problem represents an comes back all the time and they keep going on it's not gonna stop me i I'm still yeah. want to help people and and you you see this thing sometimes i think maybe there is something there like a belief that if we are not busy all the time helping people in doing things maybe we're not good enough or we're not lovable would it, that be it, an experience it you does have? come from lack of self-love because what, what people are doing is these are the nicest people on the planet honestly the, the, these are lovely people and they they express that by doing things for others but in in doing things for others that's where they get the good feedback where they feel good about themselves because we, we all get taught particularly it's an english thing that um you know you, you sh- it shouldn't be about you you know blowing your own trumpet being a big head ego all that sort of thing. we're told it's really bad and you shouldn't look after yourself and if you spend too much time combing your hair or whatever, you know, then that's not right. And there's all this sort of thing. So we, we get taught not to look after ourselves, but to look after others. And then we get a lot of our self-worth from that. And if, we, if we're not doing that, we don't know where we get our self-worth from because we haven't got it internally. And, and we have to start looking at ways of doing that. Now, very fortunately, and, and also free of charge on my website, if you go there and look for the uh, in the top heading, there's a thing called the Academy. And there's some free things there about boosting your self-worth. There's uh, three videos that are about 10 minutes long each. And I've literally helped people go from very low numbers, including naught or twos, up to tens in, in about 10 minutes flat. Uh, it's all explained on there. It's too much to tell you at the moment. But, but go there and have a look at them. It's free of charge and just... Just watch it and absorb it and, and go play along with it. Don't just watch it as a sort of, I'll see what it is and I'll have another look later. Literally sit down and decide to increase your self-worth. Because once you do that, you start to understand that all these people you help, you're actually making them helpless because you're doing things they could be doing for themselves or you could teach them how to do it, particularly with your family and your children. And um, I met a woman once who said, um, if I didn't put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, they wouldn't even brush their teeth. But can you see that she got them to that point? Yes, too much. By, by always doing it. So it was like, you know, mum, you haven't put my toothpaste on my toothbrush. Well, put it on yourself. Um, and they, there are also people who struggle to say no to anybody because they think that's going to offend somebody. Yeah, people pleasers. 
Yeah, know? they've got people pleasers. Now, there is a, a an aspect of this that if you've got one of the boss range of illnesses, it, you're four times more likely to have been abused as a child than everybody else. Yeah? Now, it isn't the abuse that causes you to have this. It's the abuse that causes you to become a people pleaser so that people don't harm you and you know how much they can harm you. And so when you become the people pleaser, that's when the illness comes in. Yeah? Yeah. So I don't particularly look to help people with the abuse as a child. That's a separate issue altogether and it takes me a lot longer. Yeah. I, I can deal with the actual fibro because mm. it might not come on till you're 30. So that, it can't be it can't be a childhood thing that only affects you when you start to become yeah. It's not just abuse, isn't it, Stephen? Because it could be, for example, something very simple like having a parent that has expectations on you. Oh, absolutely. And that they're probably normal expectations, but you perceive them as there's a lot of pressure. And if I don't do this, if I don't get yeah. into that job, that degree, that husband, that wife, that look, yeah. that fitness, whatever, my parent will be disappointed and I cannot disappoint my parent because my parent is so beautiful and loving and brilliant. So the parent has no idea of a child struggling. The child grows up thinking, oh, my sister, my brother was so much better, popular, fit, everything else. And I, I was struggling with everything and I could never do it. But now the way I can do it is like what Marisa Pierre always says in her, her RTT training is there are four, four roles we have as a, as a child that we can take. We can take many roles in different times, but one is to be the carer. I care for everyone. I always say yes, I help everyone. And then I'm gonna get my own little a place in mom and dad's, yeah, mom and dad's hearts. Uh, then the other child is the, the, the warrior, is always against, and the one one is always killed. But the carer, remember, the smarty one. <laughs> and, and so I have to help people with learning to say no. And uh, there's a nice little saying I've got that I'll clean up for the audience, which is uh, just repeat after me. <laughs> this is how to say no. When somebody asks you for a favour, you just say, I'd love to help you. I'd love to help you. But I can't be bothered. <laughs> but I can't be bothered. It's like rude. And, really? <laughs> and you laugh. Now, this, this, uh, this is really serious, actually, because just think about this. As somebody who suffered from this myself, when people ask me for favours, I'd sort of find myself sucked into saying yes because I didn't know how to say no appropriately. Now, we think it's rude to turn them down, but just think about this. If I asked you to come and mow my lawn for me, um, and because, you know, I've hurt my leg, can you come and mow my lawn for me? Well, there's nothing in it for you. Oh, you can come and do my lawn. I got half yeah. an acre. <laughs> you can go out this, this is what goes. This is what goes on when somebody asks you to do a favour. They're actually saying, "Will you do this for me? I'm not going to exchange anything. I'm not going to give you something in return. I want you to do this thing for me for free because you're a nice person." Well, is that a nice person that's asking you to do something for free or not? Mm-hmm. I'm not bothered if I upset them. If you're asking me to do something for free as a nice person. Well, you know, I can say, well, why would I? Why would I want to do that? Now, if I choose, and I must admit that about half of my treatments I do for free, but I choose who I do that for. I don't say to people, oh, by the way, I'll do it for free if you can't afford it. 
I actually choose in that moment when I chat to people, oh yeah, I'll do this. And I don't say, oh, can you afford this or not? I just literally do it as a gift. Yeah. Because I can. And it's I a choice. It. And I just do it. And it proves it works. And it might, somebody else might see it and they might go, oh yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have a paid for treatment. So I get to choose who I give things. But if somebody asks for something and says, well, you've got to do it for free because I've got no money, uh, you know, with a fag hanging out of their mouth. <laughs> it's like, well, you're not prioritising things here, are you? Yeah. So it's about being able to say to people, uh, you see, what happens is you want to say no, really, you, you can't do it. So your body says it for you. You, mm. end, you find yourself saying, I'd love to help you, but I'm too ill at the moment. And that's your body just saying no for you in a way that you feel is acceptable. You know, I would help you, but I'm ill. And it's not you making yourself ill so you can't do it. It's you're mm. really ill. But you're really ill because your body wants you not to be able to do it. Yeah, because perhaps we, we are so, because it's good to help others, but there's a point where we're so overbooked that we are in constant stress. Yeah, and the body says, oh, what can I do now? So we can be just thinking that we had to be busy during the holidays, during the work time, during in the evening, but had to be doing something. I can feel very guilty about that. <laughs> I don't have fibromyalgia. I, I know. I, I do know how to stop now. I'm like, I'm I'm done with it. And I just It's just stop. understanding it. Once you realize that you've fallen for this all your life to keep overdoing things, you've got to pick out the people you have to help. I mean, if you've got a partner who's disabled and needs you know round the clock care well but you've also got to work out can i get somebody else in to assist i don't it doesn't have to all be me you know and, and there are you know grants and things for that so it's about saying do i have to do this thing for a little bit could i just teach them how to do it so they can do it for themselves am i making somebody helpless by constantly doing things for them and, and I had this thing when I was younger because I was a, a plumber. That was my original start. Um, and I did things for relatives. I did plumbing work for them because I had two brother-in-laws who were electricians and they would do electrical work for me for free. But I found out eventually, because I learned to do plastering and bricklaying and things like that, and I would mm -hmm. go and build somebody a fireplace, but that wasn't my trade. And I wouldn't get paid for it. And they would go out to the coast with their children. And I was missing my children because I'm busy building their fireplace. Um, yeah. <laughs> and at some point, you, you get to the point where you go, this is taking the mickey. This this is, just because I agree to it more all the time, I'm going to keep getting asked. And you just have to be a little bit more assertive, which, which is just saying, yeah, I understand you wanted to do that. I've got lots of things to do myself. Well, you're not doing anything on Saturday. Well, that not that good? I could rest that day. You know, it, it's not yes. about having to have an excuse of why you can't help somebody for free. Yeah, it could also be just um, saying people now, I'm, I decided to put some boundaries Yeah, absolutely. because I'm just so tired and I don't have time. So I decided, you know, that and then literally switch off your yeah. ways of communicating to people so they cannot disturb in those days because they are your days. And that's what the body wants. You know, we are learning so much about mindfulness and listening to ourselves and breath work and yoga and meditation and art therapy but then if we're running the whole day and pushing through pushing through i mean there are cases when you have to run because you have maybe 
small children and their very busy job and very, it, you know. It's a matter of working out what, what you have to do, what's mm. important to you, what you can get other people to do for themselves and that's a good thing for them because mm. then they'll learn how to do it. Um, and actually saying no now and again and putting your priorities first because I say to a lot of people, if you're ill, you can't help anybody and you don't want to be ill because they have to help you and you hate that. But you, you've you got yourself to this state by trying to help everybody. See, just understand you can't help everybody. You can help a lot of people, but only if you're well. So you can start being selective now and then saying, I want to help these people and I do have the time and energy to do it. It doesn't stop you volunteering for things. It just means you have to be a little bit more rigorous in what you're taking on. And there's a great story that uh, Tony Robbins often says, and it's when you get on a plane and they tell you the safety measures. They say, if you need oxygen, oxygen masks will fall down from the ceiling. Now, if you're with children or somebody who needs help to put them on, put your own on first. Now, most people, mothers included, would do the, oh no, I'll put them on the kids first because I don't matter. Now, imagine you were with eight kids and you'd queue them all up and you can't breathe yourself and you're putting these masks on and you put five masks on and three kids die with you. Or you can put your own mask on first and then you've got all the time in the world to grab the one that's bluest <laughs> and put the mask on them and you rescue all eight kids. But you've got to look after yourself first. Unless you look after yourself first, you get nowhere. And, and I just hope that what we got through today is, a, is a, a double-edged message, really. One is, this is how you got there. But the second is, there is hope. Because you've just got to reverse what you were doing wrongly that brought it on to have it go away again. But you've got to make that promise. You've got to agree to listen to your body or start listening to your body because you've never done it in your whole life. And then you don't have to go down to a low level uh, of activity. You can be the same as anybody else on the planet of your age and build and everything else. And occasionally you can overdo things, but you can't do it day after day. Once you understand that and you go, yeah, I'm up for it, you can release yourself from this. You don't need me. No? Everything's possible. Everything is possible. Yeah. And that's that's incredible. I mean, wow. Uh, I think, you know, some of you guys listening to this, maybe you have to watch the video again and stop and then ponder and then forward a little bit and then ponder and say, is that me? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a person that could be quite a candidate, but I have learned the hard way that I had to stop and I had to say no. And sometimes there are lovely activities and or would you like to come to this? The thing is there are so many activities and in the end, the things that I really want to do, I can't do if I keep going yeah. to everything. And then, you know, that's my life. I have to live my life as well. And in the end, if I you know, everyone has a mission and an idea. Well, I always wanted to do this and that since I was young. But if you don't reach it, and the reason is that you are always sidetracked by lots of projects, so your life is set up by other people. 
You know, you're going to arrive to your deathbed and think, oh, I could never do that. Well, but you chose to always. So there has to be that way that balance that makes us happy. So we're doing what we want. We're helping others. We're getting rest, you know, there are eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. There has to be that balance. And perhaps in new societies, you know, in the new world, 2020, this idea of rest is just gone out of a window because, you know, you go to work, you're expected to go like mad. Then the school, children has a million activities and you have to take your kids to a million places. Then you have no time. Yeah, you're always running. Oh, I, I did mention I talk about sleep at the end. Yes. I, I think we've, we've got there, really. Um, the sleep thing is, is a really simple idea, and, and it's this, that people, when they go to bed, they try to sleep. Now, trying and, and relaxing are opposites. When we try, we know it's going to be hard work, and we, oh, I need to get to sleep, I've got to get up early in the morning, you know. Uh, you'll never get to sleep like that. And, and I have a simple tip, and I just use this, and I can get to sleep in a minute. I mean, I just, in fact, I'm busy, so busy snoring that by the time Trudy goes to sleep, she can't sleep because I'm snoring. But here's what you do. When you go to bed at night, do not consciously think about problems you've got to solve the next day. All you do is you say, Hi, unconscious, I'm going to pass this over to you for a solution. You don't say, here's a problem, or else it reminds you in the morning you've got a problem. You just say, can you solve this for me? Because I'm going to sleep now. And then you go, (laughs) (laughs) and in the morning you wake up and you've got the answer without having to consciously think of it because your unconscious works on it in the background. And it doesn't tense you up and everything else. Would that work if you go to sleep easily? But then after a few hours, wake up at 2, 3 a.m. and bang, everything comes back to your mind. Or even if you're not yeah. thinking, you can't go back to sleep. And you think, what have what I done wrong here? Yeah, you just simply say, I'm not dealing with this now. I'm sleeping. You, off you go now. You you sort the problem out for me, unconscious. Just talk to it. Give it a name if you like. You know, Fred. Hi, Fred. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me I've got a problem, but I don't need to remember it until the morning because I can't do anything with it. So you can... You can give me a good way of getting around this in the morning. Thank you very much. Good night. And and, and the other thing is, just lay there. Just lay there. You see a lot of people who say, I didn't sleep a wink. Well, if you laid on a bed without sleeping in the dark for eight hours, it would seem like two weeks at least. And, And what they found when they do sleep research is they get people in and they wire them up and they put them in bed. And then somebody will say, I never slept all night. But when they look, they slept about a third of the night. But they didn't go into deep sleep. Because when you go into deep sleep and you come back, you're sort of aware that there's a bit missing. Because time seems very quick. Yeah? Yes. But when you go into shallow sleep, you're still aware of the time. You know, you're still sort of like, oh, I'm still awake, still awake. But you're not. You're actually in a very low level sleep. But at least the body's resting. And when the body's resting, it repairs and heals itself. But if you're too busy thinking, oh, I'm not asleep, oh, I'll get up now, I'll make a cup of tea, I'll go for a... That's just the opposite of what you need to do. Just lay there and enjoy it. Just just lay there and go, at least I'm getting my rest. Yeah, because I always thought, you know, sometimes you have this temptation, now we have mobile phones, 
IP cap and check something, but that is gonna be blue light and new information. How is that gonna help? It's not it gonna is. help because the brain goes, oh, more stuff to think about. So it goes into yeah. executive mode again. And We think we're distracting that. ourselves and we're not. We're not yeah. distracting ourselves. It's better to have it blank, isn't it? To have a mind that is blank. So everything that comes in, you throw it out and you're like blank. And just, I'm going to, I, I like to think that I'm pretty much, um, in the sky, I'm out in the cloud, so I really, and swimming, so it's this vast yeah. thing in front of me that is quite blurred, and literally five minutes I'm usually really? gone, it just doesn't take very long really? for me, so lucky. I, I, I often talk to people about, imagine you just sat on a bench out on the top of a hill, and there's a nice blue sky, but with a few fluffy clouds in it, and the wind's blowing that way, and you see a cloud go past, and you go, oh, there's a dolphin in there, I, you know, Oh, and that one looks like a submarine. Now, you don't watch them go past and then pull them off and put them on the other end again. You literally watch them go past. And you might think about it for a few seconds, but then you're on to the next one. You just enjoy the dolphin. Just enjoy the yeah. shape of the clouds, you know. Um, and don't keep putting them back up there to analyse them to death. Yeah, no, um, and that's what we do. When we keep thinking over and over again about the same thing, we're not solving the problem, we're just proving we have one. And then we're sending all those wrong hormones out again. We're sending all that adrenaline, fight or flight. Well, the last thing you want when you're laid in bed wanting to go to sleep is fight or flight chemicals going around your body. Yeah, that's why I think people find it really difficult to sleep when they have to take a bus at a time, a train, a flight, they have an exam, then they spend the whole night, woo! Yeah. It, it, it's all down to attitudes. Uh, Trudy and I went to an event once and uh, we stayed overnight in a hotel. We'd stayed there before and it was quite a nice hotel, but this night they didn't give us a very good room and there was a noise from the fan, uh, the bathroom fan in the next room. But it wasn't just running, it was like... Uh, uh, uh. So it, it was really, you know, at that point. So Trudy said, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, and the bed's hard, and, and this, this, and this. And I said, well, look, we could get up now and spend an hour going to reception, see if there's another room, packing the cases, moving to the other room, and then we might get in there and find there's traffic going past or something. Or we could just decide it's easier to go to sleep. And within a few minutes, I'm fast asleep, and she had a, a night of not sleeping at all. We're in the same room, same conditions, same hardness of bed, uh, same fan next door, and I'm not letting it bother me, and it's really winding her up. I yeah. know a feeling. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's just a difference in attitude towards it. Change your attitude, you change your circumstances. I, I didn't move from that room, did I? I was just still there, say, but I was like, I need to be up in the morning, I'm teaching tomorrow. I need to be fresh as a daisy, I'm going to sleep. So you you find it easy to so for example if you have like a sudden noise coming up you keep sleeping. It, it's I I can literally be woken up by something work out that it's not dangerous and go back to sleep again instantly. But because I've I've got that relaxed attitude towards it that I enjoy good sleep and and I, and I know I can you see that if we think we can't sleep. We're actually throwing that doubt in and then we're checking. And then we open our eyes to go, oh, what time is it? Oh, it's four o'clock and I still haven't got to sleep. And, and, and then we go, now it's half four and I still. <laughs> it's, 
Stop winding yourself up. Yeah, don't check. Don't check the time. Just say I'm resting. I'm going to be here. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to be here. I'm resting with closed eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, well, that's that's a lot of information. Yes, yes. There's and, uh, all sorts of information. Lots of stuff to chew on for anyone who wanted to know about chronic pain, chronic fatigue, which I didn't realize until we talked about, and even falling asleep in an easy way. So you got three into one discount, everyone. Yeah, and it's free as well. I mean, it's not better than this, is it? Yeah, for those who managed to go all the way to watch your video, we do know that most people want to switch off in three minutes. But if you've been so good, thank you so much for watching us. And we hope that this episode has been very, very helpful for you. And I will be putting below all the links so you can go to see Stephen Blake at Old pain to go or see me for a lot of other stuff that I do. I do work mm. with everything you said, but maybe I have my own tools. Mike Mandel, for example, has sorted out his fibromyalgia with tapping EFT. Yep. He had it for a few years and he tapped and tapped. I'm going to lower his pain and then he went and he's been out many years and he's one of the top hypnotists that we know about. Yes, and that's his is. own way. He is. I agree so, with you. The good thing is that there is hope to get all these pains to go. So check out what you can do with yourself and see if there are boundaries and there are different, more relaxed timetables and things you can do for yourself because it's not a sin to look after our own health and strength and our sleep, actually. You know, there is even in the Bible, love your neighbors as yourself. So that means you have to actually love yourself. And so you can love the other people. If you don't love yourself enough and you just keep destroying yourself, that in the end, they're going to have a really tired parent or child or whatever because it's just running, running, and you might have stress-related diseases that are not very nice. And um, I do know a lot of people that are very, very stressed. And I always wish I could help them all. I want to help everyone, but I can't. <laughs> That's one of my things. Sometimes we can't. So thank you, Stephen, for being with us. It's been such a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely to see you again, friends. Okay, well, this episode two. Who knows? Episode three coming. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. And, you know, we're just going to close the video. Hoping, hopefully you understood my accent. And uh, there, sh there should be um, text underneath and I will do an Italian translation for you guys as well. I know you've been asking for Italian translation for this. You take care and I'll see you all later. Bye bye. Thank you everybody. Alright guys, thank you again and I'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye. You've listened to Create with Francis.